RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. The ASX 200 is up about a third of a percent. In South Korea, the Cosby also uh, is actually down a bit now, down 0.1%. Nikkei 225 in Japan, up 0.1%. Futures markets indicating a flat open for the Hang Seng. Brent crude oil is slipping a little bit in Asian trading this morning at $62.65 a barrel. Gold uh, is also down a little bit at $1,735 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chats. Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work presenting the programme this morning. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, slightly cooler in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be about 22 degrees. The outlook, a few rain patches in the next couple of days and humid with fog on Saturday. There is a strong monsoon signal in force. 18 degrees right now, 74% relative humidity. It's 8.31 with the news headlines. Here's Samantha Butler. The bail hearings for 47 pro-democracy figures at West Cowden Court will resume at midday, with the magistrate yet to decide on bail arrangements for eight of the defendants. Here's Sean Kennedy. Chief Magistrate Victor So told the court that he planned to end the hearings around 10pm after some lawyers complained their clients were suffering from exhaustion. He also gave some defendants permission to leave the courtroom to rest. The court had been in session for nearly 24 hours over two days, with five defendants ending up in hospital after day one and one fainting in court before the proceedings were finally cut short. The 47 defendants who held LegCo primary polls for the pro-democracy camp last year are accused of plotting to overthrow the SAR government by trying to gain a majority in LegCo and then indiscriminately voting down budgets. To be allowed bail under the Beijing-imposed security legislation, the magistrate will need to have sufficient grounds to believe that the suspects won't continue to endanger national security. Following the death of a 63-year-old man two days after he received the Sinovac COVID-19 jab, a private doctor says he expects there will be some cancellations among people awaiting a vaccine. Dr Daniel Chu is among 800 private doctors in Hong Kong who've joined the government's vaccination programme. He said it was too early to draw a conclusion and said the patient had diabetes and a lung disease known as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. The patient is rather having a severe diabetes and also the COPD, which both of them are with a sudden drop of temperature last couple of days. Patient with COPD, it's easy to have certain exacerbation of their condition. And so whether it's really vaccine-related, I don't think we should have any conclusion at this moment. President Biden says the United States is on course to produce enough coronavirus vaccine to inoculate every adult in the country by the end of May. During a White House briefing, he said his administration had invoked the Defense Production Act to make two of the country's pharmaceutical giants, Johnson & Johnson and Merck, work together to mass-produce the jabs. This is the type of collaboration between companies we saw in World War II. We also invoked the Defense Production Act to equip two Merck facilities to the standards necessary to safely manufacture the J&J vaccine. And with the urging and assistance of my administration, Johnson & Johnson is also taking additional new actions to safely accelerate vaccine production. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about two things, different strains of COVID and doing up country parks. Health authorities, as we've been hearing, have reported the death of a 63-year-old man two days after receiving the Sinovac vaccine at a government vaccination centre. But they stress it's too early to say whether that was related. Meanwhile, bookings for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine will open at 9 o'clock in about 26 minutes. Uh, A government advisor on the pandemic has said people who need to travel overseas frequently could benefit from the potentially greater protection being offered by the biotech vaccine, which could neutralise the mutated strains that have emerged in Britain and South Africa. Sinovac shots, he said, would be adequate for those who usually stayed in Hong Kong or only travelled to the mainland where mutated strains of the virus were not yet prevalent. Well, how concerned should we be about the variants of uh, SARS, uh, of SARS-CoV-2? Do vaccines protect against them? Uh, Are they more deadly or faster spreading? How many are in Hong Kong? Is it possible to keep them out? And what is anything can be learnt from the death of that 63-year-old man? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Call us on 233-88266. In the second part of the programme, after nine, the Financial Secretary in his budget proposed half a billion dollars to spend on country parks in Hong Kong, adding things like lookout points, treetop adventure and glamping sites, improving toilet facilities and picnic and barbecue sites and revitalising some wartime relics by converting them into open museums and another $55 million to enhance 10 popular hiking trails uh, that have tourist potential, he said. Well, where and how would you spend that money? What do you make of the plans? We'll be discussing that, as I say, after the news at nine. For our first topic, we're joined now by John Nichols, Clinical Professor in Pathology at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Sridhar Siddharth, Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Dr. Siddharth, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us once again. Um, what, what about the, uh, the, the the death of this man, the 63-year-old that's uh, made headlines uh, in, in Hong Kong? Uh, is there anything that we can learn or uh, any message we should take away at this point from that incident? Yeah, it certainly is an unfortunate incident, uh, but we must uh, stay calm and uh, the authorities must uh, probe the incident carefully to see if there's any link to the vaccine. Um, generally speaking, it is uh, much too early to see whether the two events are causally related. I mean, we also heard about uh, news letters from Scandinavian countries where um, elderly patients with uh, more comorbidities uh, had fatalities after the vaccine. But again, just because something happens after the vaccine doesn't mean it's linked to the vaccine because uh, these incidents may occur even in unvaccinated individuals. So uh, it's it's very important for the authorities to basically, as I said, probe the incident and uh, continue a very close surveillance of uh, vaccine safety. And at the same time, I I, I would say they have to do their best to shore up public confidence because every time headlines like this come up, uh, understandably public confidence in the vaccines has shaken. But it's very, very important for people to continue getting vaccinated in Hong Kong. Sure, like a certain number of people are going to die an hour after getting off the MTR, going to McDonald's. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a numbers game. And and what is the what are the methodologies for in Hong Kong for tracking reactions and adverse reactions to this vaccine, other vaccines as they start to be implemented in Hong Kong? Do do we have a system in place to, you know, to to be able to contribute to scientific understanding of of what the reaction is in a broader population? Yeah, just like in 
this case, uh, once there's a history of vaccination and then there is a hospitalization, we have a very uh, well-integrated healthcare system. So it's very uh, easy for health healthcare workers to then raise a concern with the uh, uh, government bodies involved. And then uh, they would be aware of the case and then they would uh, probably set up an advisory panel to uh, investigate the link between the uh, events as it were, between the vaccine and the side effect to see whether it's causally related. And it's very important to compare these things to the baseline rate in the population itself, like uh, before you had this vaccination campaign going on. So are there... Uh, is the incidence of certain events increasing as a result of vaccination or is it basically more or less the same as the baseline rate before vaccination began? So these are the kind of... Uh, yeah, but are they, are, are they going to trace what happens, like for everybody that gets a vaccine, are they going to trace what happens to all those people after? Do I just get the vaccine? If I go home, nothing happens, nobody cares, nobody finds out about it, or do I have to like check in a week later and say, oh yeah, you know, I had this reaction, or maybe I just had a little bit of a fever, or maybe I just felt a bit tired the next day? Like, Is there any methodology for collecting the broader population's reaction to this uh, yeah. in, in the now? Now, since since we're in, already in the real-world setting and the vaccines are part phase three, if uh, a person has very mild or no reactions, it's probably not going to be a system to keep track of those unless they're enrolled in a study being conducted by uh, a local university, say. Mm. But if, if it's just a person who gets the jab and nothing happens to them, then that's well and good. They just show up for their second dose and <laughs> life goes on, really. But it's, it's when you start getting these more severe uh, severe side effects um, or, uh, you know, say there's a case of uh, uh, paralysis or uh, facial paralysis or something like that that triggers a concern that it could be vaccine-related, then um, uh, this kind of mechanism would swing into place. So uh, just, just a few local aches and pains or a little bit of fever and chills, uh, I think uh, it's, it's, it's to be expected with the vaccine. So there's uh, no need to be too concerned about those. When they've done investigations in other places, you mentioned Scandinavia, uh, and when they look at uh, this case uh, in Hong Kong, will they come up with a kind of yes-no, black-white answer, or is this, uh, again, a kind of matter of percentages, that, that maybe the... The uh, the inoculation, you know, had a five percent role or something like that. Was a, was a very mild, slight contributory factor or something like that. Or you know, will they be able to say this is nothing to do with the vaccination, or it or it is to do with the vaccination? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's it's very uh, difficult mm. to definitively say or establish a causation in the uh, cases in Scandinavia. Um, the message, I haven't seen the final uh, formal report per se, but the message that I received was that he's a very, very frail elderly with multiple medical conditions. So um, you, you would expect the uh, mortality rate among this particular population to be extremely high in the first place with or without vaccination. So uh, I think the uh, wording would be something like a definitive link or a causal link cannot be established at this time. So okay. that, that would be the summary. All right. We also wanted to talk about the different strains. Uh, that, that is a, a, an issue of concern to people. And um, Professor Nichols, good morning to you and thanks. Good morning. Thanks, How thanks are you? for joining us very well. Thank you. Yeah. Could you, could you explain a little bit for us, uh, uh, it, you know, the difference between uh, uh, the variants, uh, sure. the different strains? Are they the same thing? What's going on? 
Okay, so because we're dealing with these, these viruses, viruses, these types of viruses, what we call RNA viruses, and every time they uh, replicate, uh, they've got like, um, and like a spell check in a way to make sure that, that the copies um, are identical to the, uh, to the progeny. But with RNA viruses, the, the, the spell check isn't all that great. So every time uh, there's replication, uh, little errors in the RNA may creep in. And these may lead to variants. And this is not unusual in influenza. You know, every year we're getting variants which come across, which is why we need new vaccines. So right now with, with COVID, there are about three main variants which have been uh, emerging um, for political reasons. We're not supposed to actually call them where, where the country they came from. But everybody talks about the UK variant, the South African variant, and the, and the Brazilian variant. But um, most other people call them the B1.1.7 you know, or the B1.351, which just refers to how, you know, these, sort of, how these variants um, are different. But the, the, one of the crucial things is that these variants is that where they are, are occurring, they're occurring in regions or countries where there's lots of um, virus going on in the community. So the more you, infections you get, the greater the chance you're going to get of getting these little variants. So it's not in a way uh, unsurprising that these variants are, are cropping up. Um, and so the, when the uh, outbreak started last year, the UK... Um, actually uh, started tracking these variants. And uh, at that time, people thought, you know, what a waste of money. Uh, but actually, it showed that they were very um, cognizant and they are very uh, ahead of the eight ball in actually working out these variants. And, and now it's been thought that because these variants may lead to more transmission uh, between people, is that we've got to keep a uh, track of where they're going. So the, uh, now I think the CDC has been given about $200 million to actually track these variants. But it comes down to that uh, if we want to, the, the concern of these variants is, number one, are they more transmissible or do they cause more disease? And then also, does it mean that these variants will not be uh, susceptible to the vaccines? As I mentioned before, when we're getting things like influenza, if we get a new strain which comes out in one year, then the vaccine from a year before may not work. So that's why it's important to actually keep track of them. Uh, so, and so right now with the, uh, the RNA vaccines, uh, the evidence is that these, uh, it's effective against these variants. Now, for the things like the Sinovac, the, the data has uh, not been officially published that much. So how much they're effective against these variants is still a little bit of a, of a black box. Mm. Is that in the nature of those vaccines, the, the, uh, the inactivated, you know, the old-style kind of uh, vaccines? That's yeah, 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 you're totally right. Yeah. So it's the way in which they're, they're, they're produced uh, that you, you can't um, predict <coughs> excuse me, how well they're going to be uh, effective. But the good news is, is that um, with these RNA vaccines is that because it's a very short time from, um, from production to scale up, is that when a new strain emerges, uh, because with, your making, with the RNA you can just sort of change the sequence a bit and plug it in, and you can make a vaccine which is effective against that new strain very quickly. So what it means is that, you know, I, I think the possibility will probably exist, is that maybe in the uh, next few years we'll be getting things like we see with influenza. So that when you get your influenza vaccination, you're not just getting against one strain, you get what's called trivalent or quadrivalent. So you're basically getting a, a cocktail 
of, um, of four different um, and, uh, antigens. So probably it might be that in future years, with this, uh, when we, we move to like a seasonal vaccination for these coronaviruses, we might be getting a cocktail of these, vac of these vaccines. But I think to get back to uh, the first stage is that if you can actually get the number of infections down, then you will decrease the chance of new variants emerging. So that's why I think it's crucially important for, uh, on a global point of view, is that you to target vaccination strategies where you're getting areas of high uh, transmission. So that way, you can, if you can stop the number of people getting uh, infected, then you can actually decrease the possibility of new variants emerging. Okay, that's that's definitely worth thinking about. Um, I, you know, now that we're all, you know, think we're expert epidemiologists and vaccine pros, um, you know, you hear a lot of people and even some doctors quoted in the media saying, oh, we don't like the old, we like the old way of making vaccines. This new way is not tested, The M, you know, this mRNA thing. But, I mean, uh, you know, leeches were pretty good in their time, but we're kind of moved past it. But, uh, you know, do you think in a few years it'll be uh, all, most vaccines will move to an mRNA uh, you know, f uh, foundation for making, are we going to move away from the old way of making vaccines? Is that, I mean, are, are people just being a little bit like, you know, still really wed to their horse and buggy and should be thinking about buying a car? That's a very, a very interesting point and uh, just uh, sort of the $64 billion question is that certainly the RNA vaccines have revolutionized uh, the whole uh, concept of, of vaccinology is that, you know, before, as you mentioned, you know, it was using the traditional old um, sort of 1890s approach of using inactivated vaccines or, or some of these were using the adenovirus vectors, mm -hmm. um, which are complicated because you have to grow things up. And, but, uh, but these RNA uh, can be mass produced and, and the turnaround can be very, very quick. So I think, they, you know, and certainly they will revolutionize um, much of, of the vaccine, vaccine strategies. The, you know, I've been <coughs> dealing with influenza and, and these emerging uh, viruses uh, from a laboratory point of view for a number of years. And the meetings you go along to is that for most companies, vaccines is a loss. Um, you, you don't get make any money out of it. So the incentive uh, to actually develop uh, vaccines is, uh, is, is, for most companies, is not a, not a strong one because they may not work. People want them as on a cheap and they, and you know, they're only valid for you know six, seven months. But I think with the RNA vaccines, it, it shows it's possible uh, that you know that you don't need large production facilities, uh, and that basically is that any country who has the technology um, can actually make their own vaccines now. So I think it will be a big game changer. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, some of these, the, the new variants, including the uh, so-called UK one, uh, th that's more transmissible, is that right? That spreads faster? That, that seems to be, yeah, that it, it seems to be more more transmissible. Um, is it more deadly? Um, I think the jury's a little bit out on that. I don't think there's ever any evidence it's more deadly, but certainly it does appear to be uh, more transmissible, yeah. It, it, can you keep it out of Hong Kong? Can you keep it from spreading around the world, or will they inevitably spread around the world because they're better at spreading? Well, I think because it's more effective at spreading, then it's going to be a better chance. But this is where, you know, this is why the, you know, many countries and, and regions have, you know, restricted the travel uh, to say that, you know, that basically if you come from the UK or from areas where this variant is the dominant one, you have a longer period of quarantine and, and that sort of thing. But even, you know, in New Zealand, which has got a very good um, strategy, you still had the emergence of this, um, the uh, 1.1.7 into the community. 
So wherever you're getting, getting a virus which has a growth advantage, then there's a better chance that it will actually uh, come in, into the community. Uh, I'm, I really think it's quite naive to expect that any country is going to be totally um, exclusive from a virus if without, uh, without a, a total lockdown strategy, which is economic uh, suicide for most countries. Mm. Dr. Siddharth, do you have any thoughts on the, on the new strains in, in Hong Kong? Are they, should they be a particular area of worry? Well, I think they've uh, done a good job of all along in, in terms of our border control and in terms of uh, uh, quarantine of uh, returning travelers. And it's important that we keep doing that as we get our vaccination drive underway. And uh, if we do that, we have a good chance of limiting local transmission of uh, these variants that are more transmissible. And at least some of them have perhaps some potential for uh, increased potential for so-called vaccine escape than others. So it's uh, best that we do our best to keep these uh, variants out of uh, Hong Kong for the Okay, we've got an email from uh, Alonso, and uh, this refers to uh, a discussion that we had uh, on Monday, uh, including Professor Ben Cowling, who was uh, who was mentioned the fact that uh, Sinovac hasn't been recommended for use of the over sixties uh, in mainland China. Uh, Alonso says, "Can any of your guests explain why the Hong Kong government has not disclosed to the public?" or why the Chinese government isn't recommending Sinovac to people over 60. In the wake of the unfortunate death of the man in Hong Kong, Hong Kong government must adopt a far more transparent, some might say honest approach, if it hopes to convince locals to take the Sinovac shot. Uh, otherwise, more people will be choosing the BioNTech-Pfizer option. That's from uh, Alonso. Uh, any comment on that, Dr. Siddharth? And my my understanding is uh, I'm not quite clear the the vaccines in in uh, in mainland China are not being used on the over sixties, but I don't know if they are cleared for use uh, with the over sixties in in theory. Um, do you know anything about that, Dr. Siddharth? Yeah, I'm not sure where the decision making is on that, but I think part of the reason our mainland China's decision was because uh, there were not a lot of over sixties included in the phase three clinical trials. I think they're more concerned about the efficacy in that group rather than the safety. So they have very strict guidelines on, um, you know, implementing vaccines according to the phase three trial results. So that might have been a factor behind that decision. Having said that, I, I think it's important to vaccinate over 60s because at the end of the day, it is this group of individuals who are at particularly high risk of severe COVID. So in a place like Hong Kong, where we've seen ongoing COVID-19 transmission despite uh, very intensive effort of control, it, we, we would have to ensure that those vaccinations, uh, those resources are directed to the people who need it most, or definitely the elderly population. So I'm um, all for you know, uh, the including elderly as a priority group in, uh, in Hong Kong. Even though the vast majority of deaths due to COVID-19 in Hong Kong have also occurred in this population, I think that's the right group to be vaccinated first. Okay, um, uh, Mike in an email says, isn't it interesting that your guest said the vaccine might only adversely affect the very ill, old or weak patients? This seems to be the same group of people that the COVID virus affects. Wake up people, uh, says Mike. Uh, Dr. Siddharth? Yeah, I guess that's pretty much the 
the, the same the same the same argument basically. I mean, if if it's affecting that group of people most severely, I mean, go for vaccination in that group. Now, obviously, there is no link between vaccination related adverse effects and severity of COVID nineteen between that group. So these are two um, separate issues. So I wouldn't link them together like that. But we vaccinate the elderly simply because um, they are at higher risk of, uh, you know, severe COVID-19. Okay, uh, here's an email from uh, Mr. Pink, and perhaps Professor Nichols, uh, you might want to address yeah. this. Uh, Mr. Pink says, let's assume I've received my two shots of Sinovac or Pfizer, and then there's a new strain which these vaccines aren't equipped to deal with. Would I then have to start a new series of shots with another vaccine that can deal with the new variant? What happens if there's yet another strain? Do I then have to embark on a third <coughs> series of shots? Would this be safe for my system? says Mr. Pink. Okay, <clears throat> that's a uh, very important point. And I think the, um, this is what actually, there's a number of centres in, in Hong Kong which, when they're doing the vaccine, they're also recommending that after you actually get a test to see have you actually got antibodies um, because, you know, to make sure that the vaccine has actually works. Um, and so I'll, that's what I'll be doing is that uh, when I have my, I'll be having the, the, the Pfizer is to actually take my antibody levels after that. So I think that'll be a good indication about just how much protection. But I think that what the person has, has indicated is that it's probably is that we're going to be like with influenza, is that uh, each year um, there'll be like a strain selection committee which will see what's the sort of uh, circulating strains around the world and whether or not the existing vaccines um, will be of, of sufficient ability to um, to protect against them. So I think that is a very important point there. I think we'll be seeing um, uh, probably a yearly sort of working out about whether or not we need a, a, different, a different vaccine. Mm. Now just also to get back to about this age thing, um, this is, you know, the, from a uh, scientific point of view, there's nothing to say that, you know, at the age of 59, you're okay, and that once you reach over 60, that everything collapses. You know, some people use 60, some countries use 65. But it comes down to a thing which is mainly called immune senescence, which is basically the ability of the body to mount an immune response. And, and it looks like that the, eld more, the elderly is at the ability to mount the antibody response may not be as good as for the young, which is why um, also, as um, Sid mentioned, you know, there's more chance of the elderly, more comorbidities, which may preclude them from actually mounting an immune response. So I think this 60 or 65 is more of a um, statistical thing rather than a true scientific. So, you know, someone who's in that, you know, over, over 60 plus, um, age group, you know, I don't think that means that I'm sort of de decrepit and, you know, sort of unable to, you know, receive uh, certain vaccines. Other than age, people are going to be concerned about the reactogenicity of these vaccines when they're choosing which one to get and when to get it. Do I need to take a day of off work after? Should I get it on a Saturday Because in case I'm kind of wiped out on Sunday? But can you can you comment on the reactogenicity of the different uh, vaccines and, and how that might impact on people choosing which one to get and when to get it? Well, I'll, I'll usually get a gel uh, card for that and say, you know, so we'll consult with your healthcare provider on that one about the choice. So at least we have a choice, which is, uh, you know, which I think is, is good because initially I think uh, when the is launched, it said well, we, we will not get a choice. So I think the very fact that people have a choice and they need to balance out um, the 
efficacy. We know that the, the Pfizer-BioNTech is, we've got a 95% of its efficacy rather than the 60%, 50-60% for the Sinovac. So I think that uh, each person make their own I mean, decision. I'm, I'm not going to be the one to say, yes, do take that one and take, take this one. Mm. Uh, Dr. Siddharth, uh, th- there aren't enough uh, BioNTech vaccines, are there? For, they haven't ordered enough for everyone in Hong Kong to, to have one. How is that going to work out? I believe they uh, procured about up to 7.5 million doses. So, And you need two? That, so. Yes, given that everyone needs to get two doses, you're talking about uh, half of that being vaccinated potentially with the BioNTech one. But uh, I think in Hong Kong, it's, uh, it's uh, Professor Nichols just said that the good thing is we have a choice. And uh, people, are, people are being offered two vaccines at the moment, and then there's going to be a third one uh, coming along in the next few months, the AstraZeneca one. So, I mean, people are going to make different choices based on their bodies, their uh, understanding of the vaccine's efficacy, safety, their travel plans, um, and their you know prevailing attitudes towards the vaccines and their trust of new technology. Everybody is going to have their option, and I think it's going to cumulatively work out, and there's going to be enough vaccines uh, for everyone. So I I don't anticipate a shortage, but the, but the government has to keep a very close eye on how people are choosing. And if it would appear that there might be a shortage of people getting the vaccine they want, they would have to link up to the company's concerns well ahead of time and uh, procure more doses. And it would be a good idea also to start looking at uh, other companies like Novavax or Johnson & Johnson and uh, also try to get those vaccines into Hong Kong. I really hope to see the entire eligible adult population in Hong Kong vaccinated by the end of this year. And yeah. that will have a telling effect on uh, COVID-19 locally. Okay, well, let's hope so. Dr. Sridhar Siddharth, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Assistant Professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong and also from the University of Hong Kong, Clinical Professor in Pathology. Uh, Dr. John Nichols, thank you both very much indeed. The weather, 18 degrees, 72% relative humidity. Year, with a lower number of cases, a high number of recoveries and wider availability of vaccines. Health experts have warned that the pandemic is far from over. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking in the first part of the programme this morning about uh, some technical aspects of uh, of COVID and the vaccination programme. So that's uh, just launched, I think, the uh, the registration for the uh, for the BioNTech vaccine, the second which is available uh, in Hong Kong. Interesting to see how that goes. We're also going to be talking in the second part of the programme now about uh, country parks. To that in just a second. Uh, we've got a few uh, emails uh, related to our first topic, which we didn't get to in time uh, uh, before uh, nine o'clock. Some observations and some questions. Uh, A says, if Hong Kong is so committed to having zero cases, why are they not rolling out the vaccine program on a larger and faster scale? Presumably, if we were all vaccinated more quickly, it would help stop variants coming to Hong Kong and we could get back to work, school and travel. Why can't we all be signed up to get our vaccines regardless of age and priority group? Uh, Neil asks, do we know how long the vaccine protection lasts? When we are vaccinated, does that give us lifetime, assuming no variants, or only months? 
CW says, South China Morning Post today reported at least seven people admitted to hospital following vaccination. Experts said not linked to Sinovac vaccine. That's from CW. I, I've got to say, I haven't seen that report, um, CW. Um, yeah, that's a new one. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, is the vaccine effectiveness addresses only half of the question? As with the animal study a few years ago, it's the side effects that killed all the animals in the study. So tell me the long-term side effects, please. It's been suggested in some studies, RMNA, RMNA, mRNA affect the reproductive organs in women especially. First I've heard that. I haven't heard that, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, all the questions. We've got some uh, issues and some comments are uh, uh, related to uh, the country parks, which we'll get to, as I say, in a moment. Uh, finally, MT says Hong Kong is a transport hub, and yet by its own hand, the Hong Kong government, through its disjointed restrictions and quarantine requirements, an often quoted zero cases target is killing the transport industry. A daily count of less than 10 cases is the new reality. When will the government recognise this? That's from uh, MT. So As it, said, we wanted to turn to, to the issue of uh, country parks. Can I, can I, Hugh, before we can, go to You want parks? to say retrogenicity again, I want, I want to say reactogenicity one more time. Reactogenicity. It, it was our re- word of the day last time I was on, and you've got to use it or you'll forget this it. This program is brought to you by, by the letters A. Yeah, last time, word. reactogenicity. But today we got a new one, immunosenescence. So make sure to work that into your vocabulary. That's sort of karma one, isn't it? Somehow. Yeah, immunosenescence is your, your body's ability to respond, your, your body's immune system's ability to respond as you age. I love it. <laughs> love having the scientists on. But I love having Paul Zimmerman on, too, to talk about country parks. That's right. This is, this is uh, let me explain. This is inspired by uh, the budget. Uh, the financial secretary, one of the things he said was that he was going to spend uh, half a billion dollars, $500 million, a lot of money, uh, improving country parks. Uh, he said uh, this would be set aside to carry out enhancement works on facilities, such as providing recreational elements like additional lookout points, treetop adventure and glamping sites, improving toilet facilities and barbecue and picnic sites and revitalizing some wartime relics by converting them into open museums so as to enrich visitors enjoyment uh, and experience of the countryside uh, he also said that he's earmarked 55 million for the tourism commission to work with the afcd to take forward the second phase of the enhancement program for 10 popular hiking trails that have potential for tourism in the coming five years with a review to enriching leisure experience of the public and of visitors. Uh, for reaction, we have with us now, as you say, Paul Zimmerman, CEO of uh, Designing Hong Kong, and also a Southern District Councillor, and uh, Martin Williams, founder of Hong Kong Outdoors. Uh, Paul, maybe we'll, then we'll start with you. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for, for joining us. What do you think about this? And if you had half a billion dollars to spend on the country parks, where would you spend it? Uh, well, I, I, I'm very happy we got half a billion dollars for the country parks, but there's, of course, very little money. I mean, this, uh, this country park's 40% of our landmass. It needs a lot of work. Uh, we've seen how many people are enjoying the country parks, and especially with COVID. Um, it's, uh, it's some of the trails are overrun, the facilities are overrun. Um, uh, but it's, and it, but it's, it has proven that the country parks are essential to public health and, and recreation in the city. And, it's, and, it's, and it has really given Hong Kong a chance to uh, enjoy life while we waiting for this COVID episode to pass. So I, I think the importance is there. I think it's little money. Um, this is a, and that's 
only in the hardware cost, but if you look at the uh, at the budget, you also you know you need manpower in the country park, and AFCD is understaffed, uh, and we see in the budget very little additional money for resources for manpower, and uh, I think we need to, uh, we need to look into that as soon as we can to uh, to make sure they have the right amount of resources. Yeah, I mean, places. I, a few years ago, I was looking at Hoi uh, Ha quite intensively, and there's a lot of illegal fishing in what was supposedly a marine reserve, and people installing septic tanks too close to the water. I mean, is there, it, it, looking at the details, are there more? Is there more provision for the kind of enforcement from the AFCD so they can get after things like that? No, that's that's the point. You need manpower, and that, that there are not enough resources for it. But I think you know we have uh, some extra money here uh, for AFCDs to do some work, and that's that's good news. I think the uh, the priorities that were set out by uh, uh, the financial secretary and on the advice of AFCD is uh, to spend money on the improvement of the trails where everybody can see the pictures online on the how the trails are being run out. So yeah. work is absolutely needed. And we're not talking about concrete. We talk about sensitive mm. uh, work uh, that has been uh, been, de- been uh, developed as, as new technique for making sure that they are, they are improved. But I, th- I think that we have to look when we do it trails, we've got to figure out how to not just fix the trails inside the country park, but also the connecting uh, sections between the, wherever the transport is and the country mm-hmm. park. Usually mm-hmm. that's green belt or outside, and that needs to be fixed up. Um, then the improving of toilet facilities, barbecue and picnic sites, absolutely. Uh, the toilets need work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lots of reports of uh, very poor hygiene conditions at the hotspots uh, um, in, in the country parks. Um, revitalizing wartime relics and converting them at open museums, absolutely. Uh, put some money in, try and make sure that they don't de- uh, degenerate further, um, the, uh, the ones that are in the country parks. Um, and then there's the idea for lookout points uh, and stargazing. And I think that mm. we're st- overstepping the mark slightly there. We just need seats. <laughs> it's like, uh, we don't need fancy stargazing signs. We need just seats at the right locations where you can see something, a lookout point. But we don't have to be too fancy about them. They can be, uh, be simple. I'm not so sure about some of the other ones. Um, I don't think tree, trop, uh, tree top adventure and glamping sites are a priority at all. I mean, I, I think if if you have a limited <laughs> yeah. amount of money at, at the moment, then I think treetop adventures are probably and climbing sites are, are not a priority. What I do well, think, I, I would I, just... I'd like to see... Yeah, Martin Williams. Can, Williams. I think a canopy walk would be good, um, mm-hmm. where, you can, where you can walk high on the trees and, and, and look at wildlife high. That's not what they've, they've implied on this. Goodness knows what they've got. And I think I've just looked it up, and it cost 2.3 million to build a stargazing place in the countryside in Sai Kung. What a uh, dialogue Sai Wan. Yeah, an, an absurd sort of round thing where where, where you've got a, a, a weird seat thing where you can lie on your back and look at look at the sky. And as people have said, you can just lie on the grass and, and look at stars. So, just given the money, sometimes people can waste it, and it's all infrastructure as well, isn't it? As, as I'm listening, especially to Paul's list. There's nothing about wildlife, the biodiversity of the country parks, which is really important. Mm-hmm. It's that that's really lacking education of, of about what the wildlife that, that there is in the parks. Hey. And so, yeah, we, 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 there should be much more. There are these trails. What do you think and about these uh, glamping sites, uh, Martin? Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit over fancy, isn't it? In a way, glamping. I think campsites and about glamping. If, if you're occupying, especially you might occupy flat areas that, and the lowlands, it's a tough one, Is I think, is camping. 
for, for various issues, including you know, the, the toilets with it, things like this, and, and the impacts it might have mm. on, on, on important areas for biodiversity, which are often not the hillsides, um, but often the, the lowland areas and, and around farms and the enclaves. There's nothing, say, earmarked. Saiwan in, in Thailand, which a lot of us helped uh, push for, has really had very little help. And, no, uh, I agree with you on that one. I think there's no money for enclaves at all in it, and yeah. fixing the enclaves, because the enclaves could be the amenity areas for people visiting the country parks. That's where you could sleep and having a meal. Or... Yeah, and, and supporting the villagers with, you know, we've, you and I, Paul, and others have pushed for sustainable tourism, but, but to get locals who can set up... Um, Small restaurants, hostels, which is which is still a bugbear in Hong Kong. It's so sad you cannot set up a B and B in in a in a village house and that kind of area and, and do it with government support. Doesn't the recent kind of ruling on on uh, uh, the small house policy also uh, kind of give the green light to more development? It's likely that in the enclaves people will start building again, isn't it? Uh, the enclaves are now controlled through uh, where there is private land by outline zoning plans, so that should put some limits on that. And then the enclaves, that, like Dalong Sanwan, is included in the country park, is controlled by uh, the Country Marine Park Board So, uh, and, and the rules that the AFCD has. So uh, development is, is strictly controlled there. So I'm, I'm not so worried, actually, for, uh, for the enclaves area. But where I think that there is also a budget item missing is on fixing the Pak Tung Gate control uh, at uh, at Sai Kung and to reorganize how transport happens in the Sai Kung Country Park. Um, that's It's been discussed, there's been design plans uh, circulated for Pak Tam Chung, but I don't see a budget for what's it. The, what's the problem there? Uh, we, we, well, we basically overrun, but also we have the transport flow. There is not not a good gate control. I mean, the the, uh, the turnaround of vehicles is is, is limited. Um, and so the idea... roundabout. Yeah, exactly, but which is blocked up. So they they try to create a bigger round, a, a, a more a better facility to get the traffic to go around. But most important thing, what we need is an, uh, a transfer point so that the, we can limit the vehicles to go in the country park and take people to the various destinations and make and sure you, that you people also, transfer. Also, need enough public transport because Hoi Haas Day is a place where. On a busy day, you can be queuing for a long time to get a minibus out. Should should you be, I don't know, because that throttles the numbers. But also Tayo on Lantau is another place where there can be enormous queues for buses. And you could have ferries there, really. They, they could really increase the, the, the ferries. So you need to think of these ancillary things but to support ferries on busy days like that and for the government to put money into that. Okay. Mm. To say, it's it's mm. very infrastructure-led, is this? But do you have to kind of bite the bullet and decide, yes, we're going to accommodate all these people and we're going to improve the transport facilities to make it easier for everybody to come and visit the country parks? Or do you kind of make it a little bit awkward <laughs> in, in the way it is now and, and because you don't want them overrun? But you, do you have to kind of decide one or the other? Well, quota control is, is important for the country parks. You want to control that. But currently... But that's, that's impossible. How on earth could you... You do don't know how many people are in the country parks. 
start no, charging for access like they do in other countries? There's no fences around the country park. Well, c currently, it's you have basically no quota control at the Saikum Country Park, and it's not that difficult to organize quota control. It means the transport comes in to, to the Park Tamchung, and it turns around there, and people have to transfer onto the country park bus. Mm. And then that way, you can limit your, your access into it instead of letting anybody go in at any time uh, through public transport to anywhere in the country park. Mm. Uh, and and Saikung Park uh, Tamchun, it's easy to walk in and out. I mean, there's no need to take the bus into the country park. So there's a massive amount of trails you can you can reach directly for in and out from the, from the gate. I, I think there's also promoting more of the trails. They mentioned 10 trails for tourists, mm. which kind of seems great if you don't go. But if you go out, you realise on a, on a weekend public holiday, the tourists can be out on a weekday if they ever return. But um, for, for Hong Kongers going off work, you go on a Sunday public holiday. Some trails are not that used and they're still really good. To some extent, you could do with diverting people, informing people about about trails, and ensuring those too get, get, get some kind of upgrades, which don't have to be massive, but it also includes, I can think, Sunset Peak, where there are a, a myriad trails, I think, on the top, or relatively a kind of myriad trails for a high peak. Because there is no kind of official trail and no guidance on you should go this way and, and, and nurturing people. So you get erosion scattering around on some of these hills. And apparently I've seen shots of Nong Ping above Sai Wan, which, sorry, Sai Kung, which looks a real mess just now because so many people are trampling around mm. in dry weather and, and the grassland disappearing. And mm. camping there as well. That's turned into a, a camping site. That's kind of. right, yeah. And also, yeah, but, like but I mean, if you Drap take Island, something, very say like mm. the Dragon's Back, do you, do you want to encourage more people to use the Dragon's Back? Do you want to um, have, you know, uh, better signage? You know, maybe it is there with Dragon's Back. I mean, I, I, I remember doing it years ago, and it was little known, and probably I helped played some role in in in, in fostering info on it mm. and now on on week, weekends public holidays it's really popular mm. so there is a thing as well towards getting people out maybe early mornings if it's weekend and also as i say weekdays when people are in the office but a lot of the time no you, you don't really need to be doing too mm. much of this and that's but do you need to accommodate you, you know make it uh, accommodate the people that are there better. Uh, uh, well, I think, right, Martin, Martin, I think Martin's point is good. And, and so instead of investing into just a few trails and making them better so you can attract more people, we need uh, diversification. We need more trails yeah. so that we, you can you can people alternatives. As far as trails that are very heavily used, we've got to make sure that we have the garbage and the recyclable disposal points right at the bus stops. And even if the bus stops are not in the country park, then the AFCD is to be able to coordinate with, with other with other uh, uh, departments, I think those are the kind of toilets. Of course, that need to be uh, provided in, at, at at reasonable locations. I think that's the kind of work that we need. That the ones that are well used, so that they that we can be safely used and cleanly used. Um, but uh, I, I agree with Martin. I think it's a good point. The government has a, a suggestion here for improving the popular trails where we could attract the tourist. But maybe what we need to focus the money first on is making sure some further diversification of the routes that are available for everyone. Sure. And, and do we have an opportunity now? I mean, there's been a burst of uh, local appreciation for going into the country parks during COVID, but when those 42 million a year tourists come back, uh, I mean, it's is now the time to make those changes before those people come back and we're really 
you know, and then it really does turn into a complete mess out there? I don't think they'll make such a, a huge difference that, that the tourists coming. I mean, those, 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 those people, I don't think the numbers are going to come back anyway. Hong Kong's been promoted as a really scary place where you might get beaten up and things like this. Various issues with, with bringing Hong Kong tourism back to anything like those levels. Mm. And also a lot of those tourists are still going to just go to the city. It's going to be still a small proportion that will strap on, you know, hiking boots or sandals, whatever they wear, and go out. The main thing is, is Hong Kongers, and the government can overlook that in tourism because they don't treat them as tourists. But you go on a trail and look for the number of Hong Kongers, like I've been hiking Lantau Peak and various spots like that. It's Hong Kongers, and the tourists are going to be a, still a minor relative. But so it's where they focus the money and, and everything, as Paul said, and looking at facilities for Hong Kongers and doing it sensibly. You don't make no stupid projects. I think it's really stupid is that that stargazing place in, in Sai Kung for two million. So if someone spends two million on, on a waste of money and a waste here, and then there are places that, as Paul says, you need bolder steps, you need other steps, you need to upgrade this and this and that and do it sensitively. You need the right people on it, not just someone given a budget who, who, who and, and a team of contractors who've got concrete ready to bore and, and, and off they go and, and do things. Yeah, I, mean, I think but, when, there, when there were tourists, the, the problem was not so much that there were X number going to the country parks, but they would all be going to the, exactly the same thing and the, because it was in a, a guidebook or something that a particular mm, beach yeah. or a particular boat trip Instagram or photo. Uh, or Instagram a particular, photo. Yeah, Instagram photograph would attract tens of thousands of people who yeah. were all going on the same ride or something like this. I know this was experienced in Saigon. Yeah. Okay, some uh, thoughts uh, from uh, you. Uh, Doug says, Dear Backchat, while I welcome the extra expenditure for country parks, I have concerns that it will be used for capital works and little, if any, expenditure will be directed to maintenance and management of the parks. Already, AFCD appears incapable of managing the parks with many areas scarred by littering and mountain bikers stroke motorcyclists abusing hiking-only trails mm -hmm. or even worse, smashing their way unchecked to create new unauthorised trails through vegetated areas to the obvious detriment of flora and fauna as well as the safety of hikers and walkers that comes Ooh. from doug well, yeah. mountain, are mountain bikers going to take that line down or can we expect them to call in in the next few minutes uh, I mean. well mountain bikers and motors, uh, these, these motorcyclists that uh, that use some of the trails well i think they you know we've got to make sure that people have facilities that people are interested in different types of sports have facilities too and, mm. and the country parks are extensive but right now there is i think the key point that doug makes is the lack of enforcement and the fact that we put money into doing more work and more projects but we're not putting more money in, in, into staff and uh, just making sure we have good country that, park wardens. That could include the rare species, like we've got rare turtles, pangolins in the parks, and I think they tend to be more reactive going in after there's a report of poaching. I've just seen a birdwatching friend mention three people apparently going up grassy hills looking like they were poaching. We don't really have patrols that are out and about because they're not supported, including at night when the turtle poachers and, and, and others might be active. And they too, those kind of patrols, might also be on, on trails and saying, really, you shouldn't be going that way. Like you can think Dogtooth Ridge and, and, uh, and the Kowloon Peak uh, places where some people are getting into a lot of trouble or falling off and dying. So a helicopter yeah. over La mm. Lantau Peak warning people off trails but there was a lot going off trail as it were 
and these newly forged trials at Lanzopi that for t- some people I think are just too much. Mm. Uh, what, uh, uh, some more emails. Uh, here's a good one. This is from uh, Horse Rider Extraordinaire. He says, this is for Paul Zimmerman. Uh, hey, Paul, what's the rules or laws on riding my horse on country park trails? They're bridle paths. I mean, there are recognised uh, uh, bridle paths in the ca- in the country park, but not that many. So uh, there's a bridle path in in the, you know associated with the uh, jockey club riding school at the Pockfulham Reservoir. So there are some recognised uh, riding paths, mm. but it's it's organised. It's, it's there is a limitations. But uh, yeah, no, a, a bridle paths. I welcome horses and and. Um, any any time, but um, at um, uh, uh, but otherwise, are you allowed to ride a horse? Not not that I uh, no, I don't think that that's um, uh, generally permitted. To do as bridle pass. Mm. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, Nick says, depending on wind direction, there are times when beaches in country parks are swamped in plastic. Could money be spent on collecting the rubbish, perhaps with machines that can skim the plastic from the water before it comes to shore? Does the technology exist? If so, this would be a good investment on which to use some of the money. Anyone know about that? The um, um, There is a couple of projects on the way, and I think the HSBC is now funding some new uh, skimmers uh, that are uh, operated uh, in Aberdeen Harbour, and there's some new ones coming uh, skim uh, rubbish from, this, from the, uh, this, the, the top of the water. Uh, a, um, the Marine Department and uh, Environmental Protection Department are operating, I think now, around 80 small vessels that uh, skim the water for uh, for, uh, 80. for 80. 80, wow. 80 vessels are floating around, uh, scooping up uh, surface uh, flotsam. Hmm. Are they the sea witches or something? Oh, I don't know what they're called, but they they <laughs> they they basically very rudimentary fi- uh, boats with a with a fishnet on the front. Mm. Okay. So it's a bit like trying to stop sand getting onto beaches, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the holes are quite big too. I, I gotta yeah. I gotta ask. I mean, there's so much of the stuff. That's what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Uh, okay, uh, the comment from uh, Henry uh, on Facebook who says country parks desperately need renovation and new ideas. Toilets in many trails are woefully insufficient. In responding to urgent calls of nature, men could do it behind trees, but they often could not find sufficient vegetation to shield us from others. Men, uh, women have to hold their toilet urge till they find an acceptable toilet or need other women around to see that there is no peeper. Some drink little water to the detriment of their health. Numerous trail attractions need renovation. For example, bunkers in gin drinkers' line, pillboxes, etc. Mm-hmm. could be rebuilt to original design instead of letting existing wreckages to decay. I remember touring the German war hospital in Jersey, which is almost as it was situation. How about refurbishing relics of the cable car to Mount Parker? Uh, LCSD needs to be proactive and should seek the opinion of many reputable hiking groups on this matter. Perhaps the government should consider building a cable car to Mount Parker, which would be a new tourist attraction much closer to people than that in Ocean Park. Mm. LCSD can't even reopen beaches, let alone be proactive in things like that. Uh, (laughs) And it's also, this is outside, it goes outside the country park, and I think that's the point that we we should make very clear we've got to think about where are the attractions where are the hiking routes not just where are the country parks and where you're not inside the country park currently that's okay we have to plan for the hiking routes because they start at the the point of transport where you get dropped off on the bus and it might not be the country park but that's where you need the waste bin that's where you need the toilet 
And you should co- put the toilets there. You should put new toilets in. Well, I th- absolutely, we should make facilities available yeah. where people get on and off the trail because that's recognisable. That is where you do your thing. That's where you drop your waste. That's where you go to the toilet. That's where you get ready for your hike. That becomes a recognisable point. But they are not necessarily in the country park, so that coordination is missing. All right, one, one more that, comment. That could be asking hikers, you know, where, where you really need toilets and things as well, rather hmm. than just. You know, Making it up. Guy in an, in an office deciding from a map. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Guy has uh, uh, forwarded a, a letter that he sent to the Secretary for Development. Uh, uh, just kind of, uh, I think, repeating some of the, the uh, his interest he's expressed before. Boulder tracks. He asks exactly. Yeah. He says, uh, will this extra country park be spent on implementing uh, this, or will they ruin them with concrete and railings? And this as they attaches a letter that was sent uh, to the Secretary for Development, uh, saying that uh, an independent task force has been pointed has been created under the AMO to review the Bishop Hill Reservoir uh, status. I'd be accordingly grateful if you could review the heritage status according to uh, Hong Kong's oldest built heritage, its ancient road, bridge, and way marker system. Yeah, as you say, that's a particular interest of. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think it just, just reminds me. I think the Tai Tam Reservoirs with the water heritage and the structures at the reservoirs. I think that's a really well done area where where they've taken that. So. Maybe for some of the, uh, the the war relics and other and other things, they might take something from that. Where I think it feels good walking around, but there are information posts, there's a leaflet, there's other things. Mm. Right. So, so that's neat. But that's okay. that's what a supplies department. It they is, get loads yeah. of money out of our uh, land reserve fund. So uh, well, capital works a reserve fund. So that is uh, that's the difference. Uh, AFCD yeah. works this off a recurrent budget. So they are always as 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 poor as as they can come. Okay, interesting. Uh, Alison uh, says, uh, I frequently hike Violet Hill and the Twins on Hong Kong mm. Island. I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah, it's a uh, massive... Where is that? Well, basically going from Wong, Wong Nai Chung Gap to uh, to Stanley, and uh, you've got to yeah. be ready for some serious steps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> long, long stairs. Anyway, uh, Alison says, uh, the government's done a good job in the past year to upgrade these trails by adding steps to some of the slopes that were hitherto quite slippery on rainy days. So credit where credit is due. And uh, MT has a, a attached a link to uh, theoceancleanup.com, who's talking about the situation on beaches. I got, I got a quick one. Pig-proof rubbish bins. Pigs and boars have become a part of our walking life in Hong Kong. Uh-huh. We see them all the time everywhere. And mm. generally, they're pretty good with people and dogs, uh, with the exception of making a big mess. Uh, was there anything in this budget to address the issue of, of garbage strewn all over the place by marauding boars? Yeah, there, there is uh, efforts underway from the various government departments. We've got them in my village uh, now. We've got... Uh, oh, they're everywhere. We've got oh, uh, pig-proof. Pig-proof. Pig, pig well, you got the rubbish bins. you got the pig-proof bins, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. It's, can more be done? Absolutely. Can we be smarter about and, and make sure they get installed everywhere? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So good. Okay. And one more comment. Uh, uh, Richard uh, II uh, says, how about fresh water sources to minimize the need for plastic bottle dumping? Absolutely. Absolutely. Water points in the country park. The issue is, of course, whether there are fresh water pipes running around the country park. And if you have to install them, you have to start digging up uh, the grounds and put pipes in. But uh, many more water points could be installed together with toilet points. Mm. 
and uh, CW says on the BioNTech vaccine, uh, just booked, waited six minutes, very efficient. Uh, thumbs up there from from uh, CW. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed. That's to my next thing then. Uh, <laughs> we're all real old men. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, well. <laughs> uh, I'm signing up too. Yeah. You've got what's the senescence? What's that? Immunosenescence. <laughs> Consider your immunosenescence when choosing your vaccine. I think of a little else. Well, with yes. lots of hiking, I'm sure my immunosenescence. Well, what's you, you, I'm sure your immunosenescence <laughs> has been tremendously delayed, Paul. <laughs> uh, Martin Williams, thank you very much indeed for joining us, founder of Hong Kong Thanks. Outdoors, and Paul Zimmerman, CEO of the Designing Hong Kong, and uh, Andrew Work. Andrew, thank you very much. My indeed. pleasure. Uh, the weather mainly cloudy, slightly cooler in the morning, maximum temperature about 22 degrees. The outlook, a few rain patches in the next couple of days, humid with fog on Saturday, 18 degrees at the moment, and the relative humidity now at 74%. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. Three-person households can submit applications from now until the 31st of May. Old applicant households should reply to confirm eligibility after receiving letters. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. Nine thirty-two. the news now with Robert Kemp. Online bookings have opened for coronavirus jabs from German drug maker BioNTech. RTHK logged on to the appointment system at 9 o'clock and was told to wait in line for about 20 minutes before being allowed to book a jab at one of seven centres next Wednesday at the earliest. The bail hearings for 47 pro-democracy figures at West Kowloon Court will resume at midday with the magistrate yet to decide on bail arrangements for eight of the defendants. The court had been in session for nearly 24 hours over two days with five defendants ending up in hospital after day one and one fainting in court before the proceedings were finally cut short. And President Biden says the United States is on course to produce enough coronavirus vaccine to inoculate every adult in the country by the end of May. He said his administration invoked the Defence Production Act to make two of the country's pharmaceutical giants, Johnson & Johnson and Merck, work together to mass-produce the jabs. And that's news from RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, you. Good morning, man. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. morning once again welcome to wednesday it's the morning brew with me phil wheeler we're going to start today after 10 by finding out about some art for a very good cause the local charity serendipity is having an exhibition of hong kong artists works it's called heart to heart it's next week at the hong kong cultural center to support low income families here awesome cause the chair of serendipity and an artist herself alice nan will be with us to invite you and you can see some of the work if you've got time to join us on facebook live that's in about 35 minutes 10:40. maestro and composer colin touching will be back for our weekly classical music chat today he's going to show you how music really can paint a picture 
he's chosen some excellent stuff for you to listen to. After 11.30, RTL France's man in Hong Kong, Philippe Dovar, is going to share this week's Frenchness with you. And at 12.10, it's your Wednesday session with Chris Watts, live from his Motion Dynamics studio in Central. And of course, you can join Chris, as usual, on Facebook Live too. These are the lightning seeds. Lucky you. Say it 